I wonder how many of you remember last Easter. Do you remember that Easter was on April 1st last year? And it was a beautifully warm spring day. And then on the 2nd, those of us who got up early awoke to a snowstorm. Do you remember that? And that was great news if you were a student because it meant your spring break lasted for one more day. But it was not great news if you were sitting in an airplane on the runway in Newark waiting three hours for the wings to get de-iced so that you missed your connecting flight in Guatemala and had to spend 12 hours in Texas at the airport eating dried bread and sardines. That's what happened to me on April 2nd. And listen now, I wasn't going to Guatemala on vacation, but I was going with a group of people from Renaissance. And if you were here at Easter last year, you might have heard me talk about how our church was going down there to build a school building. And we did that because we believe that people who trust Jesus should go out into the world and do things for others. And this is the building which we built over the two weeks after Easter. And if you've ever given a dollar at Renaissance, you helped us build that for kids in Guatemala. Isn't that inspiring? Yes, that's a beautiful thing. Now that for me was a great week, but it wasn't actually the most inspiring thing that I encountered that week. In fact... Beside that, I got to be part of a dream that started then out of a tragedy. Uh, just two weeks before Easter, uh, Jim Bover received the phone call that no father ever wants to receive. Uh, Jim and Carla were on vacation. When the call came that their son, Ray, had been found dead. His many-year battle with addiction took his life. I was in the office when his sister Kristen got the phone call, and it was impossible pain. And I know this, that many of you will also know what it's like to lose someone you love, so that when you come together on Easter and people talk about God's power of life, it feels like a wound again in your heart. Am I right about that? And if you don't know that already, can I say that all of us will know it in one way or another because that's what life's like. Even though it was less than a month after that death, Jim came with us down to Guatemala because he organized the project to build that school. And he went down there to build it with us. And while we were together, Jim and I talked about the questions that death brings. And if you've lost someone, you know these questions, why? And by the way, Christians give bad answers often to that question. Or what if, that was another question that he and his family was asking. Uh, but then Jim told me they'd been wrestling with a different question. It was a question of what now? And that's partly why he went down to Guatemala. It was to say, with this loss in our life, what can we do now that can twist this into something that maybe somehow is good for others in the world? Do you know that kind of question? That is a death-defying question. And it was perfect that it was a question which was being asked on the week after Easter because the message of Easter is a death-defying message. It's the message which Christians believe by faith. Not that they've proved, but rather they believe that God conquered death in Christ and now invites us in that power to ask questions like, what now? On the way back from Santa Rosalia where we built that school, Jim turned to me and said, Christian, I think I have the beginning of an idea. To commemorate Ray, we should build a rehab center so that other families don't have to go through this. 
That night, we went back to the compound where Hope of Life is founded. That's the organization that sent us. And we met with Carlos Vargas. He's the head of the organization. And Jim sat across the table from Carlos and told him his dream. He told him through tears. Carlos put his hand on Jim's shoulder, and he thanked him for being honest and sharing his pain and his dream. The next day, we were back in Santa Rosalia, and this time, Carlos was with us, and he walked with us to the river. He pointed to the land on the other side of the river, up in Santa Rosalia. This is where your dream should become a reality, he said. We need to pray. He asked a local pastor from a nearby village to come and join us. We prayed there then last year for the land so that there would be a place for this dream, this death-defying dream. And let me say this, not that it solves the gaping hole in the heart of anyone who's lost someone they've loved, right? But so it says to death, no, you're not going to have the last word, which is what Easter says. That man in the middle there standing on the rock is Jim. I asked his permission to show this photo. He said, couldn't you have chosen one that's more flattering of my profile? (laughs) (laughs) The message of Easter says that God's grace is stronger than death. Please listen. It says that anyone who entrusts herself to Jesus is free to trust that just as Jesus was raised to new life by God's power, and that's an act of trust, that one day all who are in Christ will also be restored to new life forever, without death, without pain, without anguish or illness. And this is, this is even more. And she's free now to live defiantly of death every day to say no through her own confidence and courage, free to trust the promise that from now on, that that as an act of God's grace, the very same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead is in her by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you are a follower of Christ and a Christian, I want you to be challenged by this belief so that with me, you become a defier of death. And if if you're not a follower of Christ and you've come to Easter because your friends have brought you, I'm so thankful that you are with us. You also are invited to defy death in the way you live. I want you to see the words of one author in the New Testament who puts into a very concise package this understanding of Easter. These are words from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. Look at this. Through death, Jesus destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, And freed those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Let's take this one bit at a time. That phrase, the power of death right there, refers first and foremost to literal death, which, please listen now, is an enemy of God's. When God made the world and made it perfect, death was not a part of it, not until there was an enemy who appeared and tempted man and woman away from God's path of life. The power of death, first of all, is the thing which robs you of your beloved But it's not only that literal death, it's also an emotional and a mental and a spiritual reality. Tell me, do you know what it's like to be dying on the inside emotionally or spiritually, to feel so far away from God you feel alone or even to have your mind tricking you in a way that feels like a death in its own way? This category, the power of death, is also an emotional and a spiritual reality, and all of us know in one way or another what it is to face the power of death. I remember as a child, for me, the power of death was when summer vacation ended and I had to go back to school. 
That is a power of death, having to be in a place you don't want to be. Or when I was smaller than all the other kids in my class and, and I got made fun of a lot and it hurt and kids used their words to wound me, that is another form of the power of death. And we adults do it to each other too, don't we? Unkindness is a power of death. And unkindness gets turned over into our minds so that we become depressed. And that's a form of the power of death where we become anxious or we become hopeless. We become aimless. We don't know what to do in our lives. Some of us grow up and we get a good job and we go every day, but then we think, what am I doing with my life? What's it all for? That is a form of the power of death. The truth about this life which we inhabit is that we all know deep down inside there's something wrong. There's a power that shouldn't be here. Don't we all know that? Now, the view of the authors of the New Testament, the view of the followers of Jesus and Jesus' view himself, it was that this is not supposed to be like this. No, that power of death is actually a weapon in the hands of an enemy. Look at these words, the devil. Now, the devil is something that's easy not to believe in because when you think of a man in a red suit with a pitchfork, you think that's a primitive belief which people left behind. And the fact is, since the Enlightenment, we've learned to understand reality differently and in a way that's helped us tremendously to understand that those things which can be measured with scientific instruments, those things which can be verified by repeatable experimentation, those things are the things which are objectively real, and that's helped us culturally enormously. And yet, on the other hand, after the end of World War II, many of the intellectuals who were sober-minded, secularists, even atheists, began to reconsider their disbelief in the power of evil in light of the horrendous events perpetrated by the Nazis. If you know some of the stories of what happened, you can understand why there were many people who said maybe it was a mistake to stop believing in the devil. How could a group murder children? How could, how could anyone do that? And, and then people said maybe we should, should not have stopped believing in evil. Maybe re really that's the best explanation for the death that we see. And, and wouldn't you say it makes sense of some of the things that we have to live through today? The news stories which break our hearts and turn our stomachs. And not only the grand and great things, but but the aimlessness that plagues us still or the unkindness that we can't escape from or the conflict in our families or the emptiness in our own hearts, maybe there is something to this belief in the power of some kind of spiritual malevolence which isn't supposed to be here. And here, I must tell you this clearly, when the New Testament authors ask, why is the world so broken? The answer is because there's an enemy at large. Now, here's where the Easter story comes in. And this is absolutely critical. When Jesus went to the cross, as an innocent man walking the road up to Calvary, it was his conviction with every footfall that he was moving toward a fight, a decisive fight in which he was doing battle with the spiritual powers and the forces that had been wreaking havoc on the world. That's why, look again at the way it's put here, that's why the author here says, through death, Jesus destroyed the devil. The, the weapon that God chose to use in this battle was a cross, and through the cross, and this is what the word destroyed means in Greek, the view here is that the power of evil has been disarmed. It's still present, but its weapons have been reduced. It's been rendered inoperative. Maybe we still give it power by our own disbelief or our own anguish or insecurity, but its weapons have been removed. It's been made impotent, bound, and nullified because of Jesus' death 
The devil has been struck with a mortal blow, his future fate totally sealed. How did Jesus' death defeat the devil? Now, this question is a question which is a good one. And in fact, much of the New Testament in the Bible is, addressed, is addressing itself to that particular question. How did Jesus' death do anything? And the answer is unfolded at least over three different days. First, Good Friday. That's the first moment that there is a defeat for the devil. Let me spell this out. When Jesus gave his life on the cross, this is what the Bible says, he made the payment required to free all people in the past and in the future who'd ever been held prisoner by their sin. Now, you may not be a religious person, but do you know what it's like to be going in the wrong way in life and feel like you're a prisoner of your own missteps? Do you know that? To carry regret and shame for what's behind? Do you know that or not? I need some help here, yes? Some of you? So listen, when Jesus died, this is the biblical viewpoint, that in that moment, he gave his life as a ransom. That's what the Bible says. That's a fee required to release a prisoner. That payment was rendered to the one who had a claim upon all of us for our misdeeds, the devil. And in that moment, the prison doors were open so that all of us are forever free to walk away from our own misdeeds because God decided in Christ to take them on himself. This is how it's put in Colossians 2. God erased the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. That's what the Bible says happened on good Friday, which means you're free, and therefore the devil's claim on you is null and void. That's the first victory. He goes on to write, and in so doing, he disarmed the devil and made a spectacle of him, freeing us on Friday. Here, on Easter Sunday, there's a second way in which Jesus' death defeats the devil. Are you still with me? When Jesus died on Friday night, the devil, the powers of evil, they believed they'd won their greatest victory ever. On Sunday morning, when the disciples came to the grave and the stone was rolled away, God had enacted his incomparable power to raise Jesus' body to new life. That's what the resurrection means. And in that moment, God literally defeated physical death in Jesus so that the question, O death, where is thy victory, is now answered nowhere because on this second way, Jesus defeated the devil through his death and he subsequently gave the promise to all who entrust themselves to him that they also will have in their own future uh, a defeat of death, and which is, this is why Jesus is called the firstborn among many. And in that second sense, the devil was defeated. This is true for you. If you trust yourself to Jesus, though death will come and claim you, it will not be the end, only an end, and that also will be overturned. And maybe there's a long time between Friday and that Sunday. But for you and for those who are in Christ, death is no longer the end. And in that second way, Jesus' death defeated the devil. And then in a third way, and this applies to every day subsequent to Easter. Please get this. If you are a follower of Christ, this is true for you. When Jesus arose... He promised the disciples to give God's own presence dwelling within them, the gift of the Holy Spirit, so that at all times, the same power which God used to raise Christ to new life is actually within us so that we have God's power which defies death in us every single day. And in that third way, the devil was defeated because now anyone who trusts Christ is free to go into life and stand up to the power of death no matter what form it comes in. 
If it's an unkind word, you have the power to stand up to that. If it's greed, which robs the world of, of the resources that should be shared, you have the power in Christ to stand up to that. If it's fear and anxiety and desperation, with Christ's power, you have what is required to say no to it. And in that third sense, the devil was defeated by Jesus' death. And the consequences for us are also spelled out in this statement. Look one more time at what is written there. Through death, the author says, Jesus freed those who all their life were held in slavery by the fear of death. That is because Jesus died for us, every one of us is given an invitation to freedom. That is, we are liberated from having to live life in fear of death, and we are given access to God's power, which is greater than the power of death in the present, and therefore free to live trusting Jesus. That means when you leave this place and you confront the power of death, no matter how great it is or how small it is, you are free in God's power to be living liberated from that fear. Do you know what it's like to live in fear of death? I know that some of you know it literally, and others of you know it figuratively, but I'm telling you that I have seen with my own eyes what it looks like when someone is freed by Jesus' power from living in fear of death. I saw it in Guatemala last year with a brave father. I saw it in Guatemala last month. This year, Renaissance went down in March. I went back with Jim, no snowstorms. A group of us flew out. We, we arrived in Guatemala, and Carlos Vargas told me that I should get Jim and that the two of us and one other friend were invited to his home for a special dinner that he'd been planning since last year. We went up to his house and sat down. There were three young men from Guatemala across the table from us, a young man from Guatemala beside me here, Jim was here, and my friend Robert was here, and a few others at the table. And Carlos had brought us together so he could share our stories. The first person to share was beside me, Miguel. When Miguel was eight years old, he watched his father murdered in a drug deal that went wrong in Guatemala. Within two years, he was fully enfolded into that gang and was training to be an assassin as a 10-year-old. For eight years, he lived on the street. He explained to everybody at the table, when my father died, it made my mom bitter and it made me curse God. I went to live with death every day. When I was 18, he explained, I was in charge of an armed robbery of a truck. It was an ambush. I was shot six times and left for dead. He rolled up his sleeve, showing us where one of the bullets had gone right through his arm. He moved his collar to show us the bullet wounds in his neck. I awoke in the hospital, he said, and I cried out to God for, for forgiveness. I asked him to save me even though I had cursed him. I promised to live outside of the gangs and to give myself to helping others. For the last two years, I go into the city and I connect with other young men who are in the gangs and by God's power and grace, he protects me so I can be brave and I've rescued many from the gangs and that's my mission from now on. Friends, that is what it looks like when someone believes in Jesus' power and lives freed from the power of death. It's inspirational, isn't it? Those three men across the table from Miguel, Carlos Vargas, had gone into the, the village next door to where he lives in Guatemala right after Jim and I left Guatemala. 
And he went in and he found a few young men dealing drugs and he told them, I want you to invite all your friends to a free dinner at a hotel that I'm gonna host, no strings attached. 40 men showed up. Every month for the last year, he met with them there at the hotel in order to identify who among them were the leaders. And then Carlos selected three and he invited them to his house to have dinner with me and Carlos. You cannot fear death and invite drug dealers into your house. Do you know that? He wanted them there to hear the story of a young man who lost his father to drugs, and he also wanted them there to hear the story of a father who lost his son to drugs, and it was Jim's turn to tell his story. Through tears, Jim shared about how he and Carla and Ray's sisters and brother struggled to help their brother get free of this addiction. He shared how he had poured so much into it to free him. How heartbreaking it was to, to see his brother or his son move over and over again into the addiction. Some of you know this. He wept as he recounted the day that he received the phone call and how he couldn't do anything to change that death and how he would forever live without his son. Those young men across the table, their eyes were wide. And then Jim said, but I'm here because I want to say no to death and do something for others that turns the pain that I and my family have had to live through into, into anything that maybe would rescue another person. That's why we're here. We want to build an, a rehab center so that others don't have to go through this. That is a man who lives defiant of the fear of death because he's been freed by the power of Jesus' resurrection. Can you see it? Now it was time for the center uh, three to share his story. It was Victor. Victor was clearly the strongest of the three who were sitting across the table from us. He recounted how, as a teenager, he went into the fields to feed pigs to, to have enough money to pay for his family. How he worked for six days a week for a whole month to earn $400. How humiliating it was to have to smell like an animal all the time and never be able to wash it off. He told us about the day that his friend came and said, hang in there, Victor, there's gonna be an opportunity soon. And then he told us about the evening when his friend showed up at his house with a small bag of cocaine and explained to him that one day selling this and we can earn more than you'll earn in a month. How could he not do it? He started dealing in the town and before long he had money and then in a little while longer, he had in addition to money, an addiction. And then after about a year, he had no more money, only the addiction. Through tears, Victor shared the humiliation of becoming sober because he couldn't afford any more drugs and seeing how foolish his friends were. And then he said, as Miguel did, I cried out to God and asked him to deliver me. I prayed that Jesus would save my life and get me off of drugs. For one month, Victor had been sober. He came to that dinner and he said to us, I wanna work at the rehab center because if I have something good to do with my life, I can, I can live in God's power and I can rescue other people from this same problem. That is another man who lives in the power of God's resurrection to say no to death. I got a phone call on Thursday this week, and it was from Carlos Vargas. And he said, Pastor, I know you're busy. And I know this is a busy week, but I have some news about our dream. Would you come into the city and bring your friend Jim? And we met at a restaurant and 57th and 6th, right here. That's Carlos on the left and Jim on the right. And Carlos unfolded before us the many others who joined into this dream, friends of his from other places who said, we'll give what we have to this. 
And he invited Jim and his family, and he invited me, and he invited our church to say, we want to move forward with this dream so that this is no longer just a dream but a reality. And that was on Friday. And I got this text message yesterday from Carlos. It said, Pastor, God bless you. We don't have to talk. He had told me on Friday that we would need to talk on Saturday. I just want to give you some good news. Jim emailed me. He told me he spoke to his wife, and she agreed to everything we spoke about in the meeting. It's a done deal. It's a dream on the road to becoming a reality for the glory of God. This will transform lives and bring them to Jesus. And at the same time, we will transform Santa Rosalia. May God bless you and thank you for believing in us. Isn't that beautiful? That is death-defying. And they're going to call the entire thing Rays of Hope. That's what it'll be called. And 50 years from now, when we're all gone, actually, some of you will still be around in 50 years. <laughs> I think about this. In 100 years, when we're all gone, there will be young men who, who are delivered from drug addiction, young men and women who are freed because of that act that said no to death. Do you see how powerful it is? That is what it looks like when, when people believe in Jesus' resurrection and live accordingly. And between now and the end, there will always be a hole where death leaves an emptiness, of course. But the promise in Christ is that one day, all those who are in Christ will be raised again to new life. Death will be forever gone. But between now and then, we say no to death together when we believe in Jesus' resurrection. And that's my invitation to all of you. To those of you who follow Christ, I want to make this concrete and as specific as I can with a very direct challenge for you. If you don't believe in Jesus, you still can say no to death. You give yourself to him, though, in faith, and he empowers you to say no in very specific ways. Here, I have four very specific challenges for all of us together to say no to death in the power of Jesus' resurrection. Let me offer these first. Let me say that if your behavior would be characterized by uncommon kindness... That would be a way within all of our reach to say no to death. Because as we know from our own experience, words of unkindness, for instance, or actions that are mean and cruel are forms of death. And today, this afternoon, with your family, every one of you is free to say no to death and yes to life by being uncommonly kind. And I use the word uncommonly there because I don't just mean being kind to people who will pay you back or people who are nice to you, do that. Be nice to those people. But find someone who's turned toward darkness and be kind to them. Find someone who's struggling and who's mean to you and meet their cruelty with kindness and watch what God does with the power of the resurrection. That is life saying no to death. And all of us, no matter how young or how old, know the cruelty of unkindness and therefore are free to do something that makes someone's day way better. Put your hand on your son's shoulder and say, I'm so proud of who you've become. Now tell your daughter that she's beautiful to you and smart and you love who she is and who she'll be. Now say to your mom and dad, I'm sorry that I've made your life so miserable and I'm only nine years old. <laughs> Thank you for caring for me as you have. Be uncommonly kind. Here's the second one. Second, let your relationship with your possessions be one of radical generosity. You may not feel it, but we all are exorbitantly wealthy. And I promise if you travel to Guatemala, you'll see it with your own eyes. 
the power that we have in our money and our possessions is impossible to overestimate. If all of us decided to live on 90% of what comes in, if we chose to lower our quality of life by 10%, and if you have only a little, then that's a lot less than the person who has an awful lot. But if we all did that together, the power of life that would come from that would be unestimable. And we're free to do that. The reason that we have Renaissance Church, very simply, is because many people have decided to do just what I've said, to set aside 10% of what they have and give it to the church so we can do this mission together. And without it, we couldn't do that. But not just this, so that we can go and, and build a school and build a drug and alcohol rehab center and have an ongoing relationship with Santa Rosalia and many other places of need in the world. And it's not just your money, by the way. It's your time and your skills and your smile, your intelligence, your work, whatever that work is, all of that God wants you to be radically generous with. And the person who is freed by Jesus' life is freed from the death of greed and therefore free to say no to the scarcity in the world that doesn't have to be there because we have more than enough and others don't have enough. So you see how the math works out? That's the second thing, be radically generous. Here's the third. See yourself always as a part of the human family and therefore express genuine solidarity with every other person on planet Earth. I know that there are a lot of people around you who are hard to love. I know it. But the truest thing about every other person you see is that when Jesus died on the cross to defeat the devil and break the bars of the prison that holds people, he did that for every single person. And so the truest thing about you is that God loved you enough to die for you, and that's the truest thing about anyone else. And if you remember that, then you embody the kind of solidarity that says no to our foolish, insane, never-ending ways of dividing up from each other, which right now in the United States should be an embarrassment to anyone who has a conscience. And I'm not saying other people, us, all of us, that we should step across whatever lines are around us and those other people and say no to them, and say yes to the solidarity that is ours because of God's gift for us in Christ. It may be that in Santa Rosalia, you say, these are my brothers and sisters now. I'm going to give myself for them. It may be in Milburn, Short Hills, Summit, Chatham, Springfield, wherever you come from, that you say no to dividing up anymore and instead say, everyone I see is a person for whom Jesus died. Everyone whose name can be named is a person whose heart was, whose name was written on God's heart and he gave Christ for them. They're all my brothers and sisters. When I practice that belief, I say no to the endless divisions and yes to life and solidarity. And then here's a fourth one. Uh, no matter what valley you walk through, and I know this is a taller order for some of us than others right now because of how dark the valleys we find ourselves in are. No matter what you walk through, be possessed by a defiant hope. And by that I mean a hope that says no even to the circumstances that are heartbreaking, even if it is literal death. And this does not mean pretend you're happy when you're not. Don't do that. That doesn't help anybody. Be as sad and as grief-stricken and as heavy as you need to be. But hope, because I promise you this, the power of God reaches deeper than all the misery that the world can throw against us in the power of the evil one who's been defeated by God in Christ. And even if it doesn't look like it, he's nothing left. God's love reaches so deep and it embraces every one of us. What if I don't believe it? You can ask that question. What if I don't even believe it now? Fine, I believe it for you. 
and others who trust Jesus, can we agree that we will believe it for our brothers and sisters and hope against hope that God will bring our belief into their own hearts? Can we do that? The world needs us to hope. The world needs us to be defiant to death. And I promise you, if we won't do it, nobody will. And I also promise you that in the power of Christ, the power of God's resurrection, love is stronger than death. And so we can say no in faith, and then death will be toppled over. And that's the truth. Before I pray, I want to say a word first to those of you who are guests here this morning, who don't come to church each week. I want to thank you for choosing to come here this morning, and I want you to know what I hope for. I hope that these words will be like a seed in your heart that God will use to grow good things. So you personally know the freedom that those of us who trust in Jesus, and maybe you do too, have come to know, and I pray for that for you. I hope for that. If you're a person who comes to Renaissance Church each week, and I see so many of you here, I want to say this to you. What a joy and a privilege it is for me personally to be your pastor. That I get to go into my study week after week and listen to God thinking of you. And I do, I see your faces and I think of you. And I ask God, what can you give for them? And my hope is that this Easter, he will have given you something through this so that you move forward and grow. And it is the great privilege of mine to be in this with you. So I thank you for that. Let's join our hearts together in prayer now. God, for every man and every woman, for every child in this gathering here this morning, I give you great thanks. For your love, which is for us all, deeper than we could ever even ask or imagine, I give you praise. For the glory of this day, the message of which love is stronger than death, and death does not have the final word, I give you thanks as well. Would you, through this time we've gathered here together today, would you put hope in every heart that goes deeper than even the loss that comes from death? God, I thank you for the many signs of your power that you've put in my own experience. I thank you especially for that dinner in Guatemala last month where I got to hear those stories of death-defying power, where I got to see the bravery and courage and selflessness of my friend, Jim. I thank you for the lunch in the city on Friday where we got to talk about this dream and, and for this beautiful gift to know that it will be a reality. And I pray that many of us here will go down to Santa Rosalia in, in the days ahead and be at work to help others. And I pray very simply that you would redeem every act of evil and death through your own power as you defeated death through Jesus. And that you would fill us with hope between now and that day. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.